bring greetings to you this morning in the precious name of Jesus, the one who is risen, and uh, the one whom we worship, and the one who is coming back again. Ellis was talking about the the women as they went to the tomb that early Sunday morning, and their discussion of perhaps uh, inability to roll that stone away. I guess I had to think of... Uh, you know, I'm amazed they could seal that tomb up, really. <laughs> they could even get that stone to stay in place. And I thought back of the Old Testament experience where the children of Israel were in battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines stole the Ark of God, and they took it back to their camp. And you know what they did? They tried to set up their idol, Dagon, on top of that Ark. What happened? Repeatedly, it kept falling over, tumbling down. They were dealing with a power that was they didn't comprehend, didn't understand, and and I think we, by faith, realize that God is all powerful. We say it, we believe it, but yet I think in reality we sometimes our our ability to absorb that into into our actions and uh, and to flesh it out is where we come short sometimes, but. Uh, and we worry about some of those little things, some of those little details, like the women going to the tomb. Okay, how are we going to get that stone away? That was a big stone. Joseph of Arimathea, it was not just some poor man's tomb. This was a rich man's tomb. It probably had a extra big stone is what I'm going to suggest. Again, that's subjective perhaps. But uh, this morning I'd like to talk about emotions of Easter. I don't know if you've ever thought about emotions or not, but we, emotions are a part of us. Uh, Jesus expressed emotions in his earthly ministry. During his time here with us in a, as a human being, and emotions, all of us have emotions. As I look into your face, your, your emotions are, are what's oftentimes the, you know, what, what we express. And, and you know, it can, can give an indication of maybe what's taking place behind the scenes. Okay, that's that's what we talk about our emotions. We maybe don't see all that has happened last week, but I can tell whether you had a bad week or not just simply by looking at you. The emotions of Jesus are a confirmation of his humanity. Emotions give us a level of social connection, and I believe that's healthy. The biblical verses in Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16 tell us that we ought to rejoice with them that rejoice, Weep with them that weep. Those are those are emotions. When we have joy this morning, as we worship God in in the joy of His resurrection, we ought to be able to share that joy as as Christians. And uh, as we sometimes experience sorrowful things in life, we we weep with them that weep. Reading an article by Troy Borst, he says this: Human beings are emotional. Emotions involve our minds, our hearts. And many times our bodies as well. We feel anger and our blood pressure goes up or our face gets red. We feel anticipation and our minds begin to race and it's hard to concentrate. We can feel awe in a place, looking at a fine piece of art or simply looking out into the night sky. Curiosity can lead to discovery, but it can also, but it also killed the cat. Panic means we sweat buckets and talk fast and times cannot think clearly. Emotions are complex. We can feel happy and sad at the same time. 
We can feel lonely in a crowded place. Self-confidence is powerful, but one comment can shatter it. I thought that was a very good definition of emotions. And emotions, you know, we're talking about feelings, okay? And feelings are not what we build our experience on, but emotions are a part of our expression. And I, I guess as I want to walk through some of the emotions of, of the Easter experience, that uh, we, we check our emotions and our emotions revealing what really is taking place inside of us. I don't know if you've thought about how many different emotions there are, but I, I went online and printed out a, a list. And I'm sure this is not exhaustive. Uh, this was developed by some psychology uh, uh, organization. And they came up with nine basic emotions. Sad, angry, scared, insecure, suspicious, happy, jealous, hopeful, and love. Those were nine basic nine basic emotions that, that we find. And under those nine, they had nine different levels of expressions of all those different uh, 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 emotions or expressions of emotions. Like under sad, they had unha- unhappy, sorrowful, depressed, miserable, down, gloomy, heartbroken, dev- devastated, or hurt. And, you know, sometimes we, we use those different levels to describe how bad how sad we are. Okay, so we're really devastated. That's the bottom. And uh, so then under angry and scared, they had nine different levels of expressions of emotion. So I don't know where your needle is at today, if, as far as happy or cheerful or hopeful or jealous or whatever the situation might be. I, I, can't, I can't necessarily read exactly. I, I can read your faces to a certain degree, but I can't necessarily. Don't get scared. I don't know exactly what all is taking place in your life. Only God knows that. And we're good players. We are. Human beings, we, we tend to hide our emotions. And women are probably more emotional than men. Uh, they tend to bubble out uh, easier as men, especially men with German background. We were stoic. We tend to bury them deeper. And I'm not sure that's always health, healthy. Uh, that's up for debate, I guess. I mean, it's part of who we are. They did. I did read somewhere, and I didn't write it down. They said... Uh, genetics plays a part in your emotions, and I thought that was fascinating. I forget what percent they said in their research they had coming. I'm sure it's subjective, but uh, men, as, as we get older, our emotions tend to become more visible, So, uh, and that's natural. I know uh, I probably related this before, but I still am humored by, by Brother Clara Martin from Hayward sharing how that he was visiting with the clerk buying his coffee at Quick Trip, and she was relating a very touching experience to him. And, and, and it touched him, too. And he said, here we are, both crying over our coffee at the counter in Quick Trip. I mean, you know, <laughs> he said, how, how, how bad is that, or how good does it get? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, I admired that because it was, it was, it was, he was allowing his expression to come out, and he could talk about it. So, uh, well, emotions of Easter... Turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 26. I want to read a number of verses here. I have my emotions broken up into four different parts this morning. I have emotions in the garden, and then I have emotions at the trial, and uh, then I have emotions uh, at the cross and then emotions at the resurrection. But this morning I want to just walk through the pages of the Scripture, read some verses, and pick out some of the emotions that are expressed there in this period of time that was so uh, pronounced, that was so 
uh, important to us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 26, I want to begin reading at verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Notice that. All the disciples said this. We tend to pick on Peter, but it says all the disciples reaffirmed that too. Verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now that he had betrayed... Nah, he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Heal, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinketh thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But now then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be. And I want to stop reading there. I see in this passage of scripture here uh, an expression of uh, fear and uh uh, as an emotion expressed here in the uh, the uh, events that were unfolding, I think Jesus faced, in his humanity, faced a very pivotal experience um, in his as he came to the, the the crown of his mission, earthly ministry, his earthly mission here that he was going to sacrifice the physical body that God had given to him, so that the blood could be shed for the remission of our sins, and we could experience that. Um, I wanted to also notice that uh, the self-confidence of Peter in exchange in comparison to the fear that our Lord and Savior faced. Uh, I believe Jesus here, um, you know, it, I don't know if you caught that there where it talks about Jesus going into the garden there and, and uh, he realized, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he repeats that prayer. 
And, uh, you know, we get a picture of, of Jesus facing death and the horrors of death and the horrors of the crucifixion that he knew were going to be the end of his physical body and, and the torture and the, the torment that was going to be expressed against him. Comparing that with the self-confidence that, that Peter expressed, you know, when as Jesus entered that garden there, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, uh, he, he told them, prophetically told them, he said, you're all going to be scattered. The shepherd and the sheep, are, the sheep of the flock shall be scattered there in verse 31. And uh, Peter, of course, refuted him. He said, Verily I say unto that this night before the crock crowed, Jesus told him, he said, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And then Peter refuted him. He said, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And the other eleven as well confirmed that. So self-confidence versus fear. Two emotions that are at different spectrums. And uh, Jesus, who was the Son of God, seemed to express uh, an element of fear from the hum- from his humanity standpoint that he was going to face death. And uh, in the agony that he was going through in in this event, I think it's Max Licardo who says in his book, uh, the uh, I want to read from it here later, no wonder they call him the Savior. He says the we see many portraits of or paintings of uh, of Jesus praying uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane with the light sedately shining down from heaven. And I don't refute that, but it, it does mention that he, uh, it seems like he threw himself prostrate on the ground, I believe. And, uh, you know, and, and was sweating in agony. And, uh, you know, he said, to Max Licardo says, that's not the picture he gets as he read this, reads this scripture here. And, uh, artists have their way of portraying things, I guess, but, uh, he said, I, I, I think there was a battle going on there that, that, that we need to understand that here was Jesus Christ in his humanity, in his humanity, in fear, the emotion of fear. And uh, how do we handle fear? How do we handle self-confidence as emotion? Uh, there was an article I want to read out of uh, Max Licardo's book that I thought very eloquently could say it better than I did. And this is how he says it. We see Jesus in the fog of a broken heart. The writer of Hebrews would later pen, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. My, what a portrait. Jesus is in pain. Jesus is on the stage of fear. Jesus is cloaked, not in sainthood, but in humanity. The next time the fog lifts, you might, the next time the fog finds you, you might do well to remember Jesus in the garden. The next time you think that no one understands, Reread the 14th chapter of Mark or Matthew chapter 26. The next time your self-pity convinces you that no one cares, pay a visit to Gethsemane. And the next time you wonder if God really perceives the pain that prevails on this dusty planet, listen to him pleading among those twisted olive trees in the garden. Here's my point. Seeing God like this does wonders for our own suffering. God was never more human than at this very hour. God was never nearer to us than when he hurt. The incarnation was never so fulfilled as in this, as in the garden. As a time, as a result, time spent in the fog of pain could be God's greatest gift. It could be the hour that we finally see our Maker. If it is true that in suffering God is more like man, maybe in our suffering we can see God like never before. The next time you are called to suffer, pay attention. It may be the closest you'll ever get to God. Watch closely. It could very well be that the hand that extends itself to lead you out of the fog is actually a pierced hand 
and I, I thought that was ver- written uh, very well. I wanted to read the verse in Hebrews chapter, uh, he mentions it there, Hebrews chapter 5 or 7, which I think the uh, Hebrew writer that gives a very good illustration of what was taking place there in the garden. Hebrews chapter 5 or 7, it says, who in the days of his flesh, and this is talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And that's a lot of truth in those words there. Uh, He's called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And uh, verse 7 is particularly the verse I wonder where it says, He who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying. And uh, I think Jesus faced a battle there that, that we sometimes gloss over as he faced Calvary. The emotions of fear, the feelings of rejection, the cross, the nails, the crown of thorns that was placed on his head. And I, as I thought about, you know, Jesus knew all of that. That was coming. That's the Son of God. I don't know if I ever brought one of these along or not before, but I, I Googled to see what the nails were likely like that they pierced Jesus' hands and feet with. And they suggested they were square nails. This is a railroad nail, so it's it's not... Authentic, but it's as close as, it probably goes back to the late 1800s, maybe, I'm not sure. We live on the old railroad tracks, so there's an abundance of these around our place, but, uh, they said it was probably a square steel nail, uh, roughly foraged, and, uh, probably five to seven inches long. This one I think is just about between five and six, so it, it possibly could have been longer, but, uh, just to get a description of, of, of the hands, of your hands being pierced. And I was going to ask for a volunteer to come up here. Which one of you boys is the strongest? None of you want to admit that. But I'd like to pierce your hand this morning with this nail. No, actually, just come up here and lay it on the pulpit. And I'll, when you say it starts hurting, I'll stop. Any volunteers? John, you're my grandson. Can I pick on you? What should I do if he goes through and he doesn't say, ouch? <laughs> Maybe I'm too old. I can't press hard enough. Tell me if it starts here. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't break the flesh. Well, okay. But, you know, you think of the, the torture. I mean, you know, do we, do we get a grasp of it? And, you know, those we talked about in the Sunday School lesson. You know, those Roman soldiers were professionals at it. They knew how to crucify people. Jesus wasn't the first one that was done. They knew how to do it. And they did it probably the most brutal way that it could have been done. And And yet they did it. Because of you and me. Jesus sacrificed himself because of you and me. So the emotions of fear, the emotions of self-confidence, those two things, you know, contradict each other. Peter, self-confidence, Jesus, the sacrifice of, of, of the, being the sacrifice for the sins of the world. The emotion of submission is shown here in Jesus too in, as he prayed in the garden is one that I want to pick out on. Uh, lift out too. It says, uh, he said, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Can we experience that emotion in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I display that emotion of submission as I function in the body of Christ, that emotion of submission? Um, 
Thy will be done. God's will meant suffering. God's will meant pain. God's will meant shed blood. It was in God's plan. It was in God's time. It was in God's will. Can I submit to God's will? John uh, 10, verse 17 and 18, just a couple of verses in relation to that uh, aspect of submission. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I want to lift those verses out, the fact that Jesus gave. No one took Jesus' life. The Roman soldiers didn't really take it. He gave his life. He gave it. There we have it right there in the written scripture. I lay down my life, that I might take it again. And uh, then I wanted to read also Romans. You know, as I, as I read those verses and as I looked at the submission aspect and the experience of Jesus submitting himself, I couldn't help but think of Romans chapter 12. You know, it sounds what it sounds exactly what Jesus calls us to do here in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God expects us to place our lives on the altar and give him give ourselves as a living sacrifice for his service. Can we do that in submission? The emotion of submission. You know, and I, I think, you know, as I think of submission, you know, it, it, it needs to be done. And, and many times we struggle underneath it. But, you know, that, em, that emotion of submission needs to be expressed. Re- resignation. God is in control. God's timing is perfect. Turning the pages of the scripture in Matthew to t- chapter 27, where our, our Sunday school lesson was taken from. And I realize we were at the resurrection, but we're going before the resurrection. Matthew 27, I want to begin reading at verse 11, pick out some more emotions here, at the trial of Jesus. Matthew 27, and Jesus stood before the governor, pardon me, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governors want to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto, unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered 
unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet root. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to, be, to crucify him. And they came... And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be filled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and they set up, over his head, his, ac- his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, and the one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And I'll stop reading there. Emotions at his trial. Uh, I see the envy in the crowd as one emotion that's expressed. You know, envy. You know what James says about envy? Envy, James chapter 3, verse uh, 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Every evil work. Envy was in the crowd of the, the people there as they sought to have Jesus crucified. James tells us, in that crowd was every imaginable evil work. It's the way I read the scriptures. Envy will make you do things that are absurd. Envy will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. In comparison to the envy of the crowd, I see the innocence of Jesus. And uh, we see Pilate actually confirming that. He said, I find no fault in him. And uh, you've all heard of the innocent luck. And this is an incident where it was not just an innocent look. This was an innocent person. Jesus was totally innocent. And uh, so you have them two comparison emotions there, envy and innocence. As I thought about the innocence emotion of Jesus being expressed there and testified by uh, Pilate, I thought of the prophetic scripture in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was innocent, but you and I are guilty. And because of that guilty, because of the guiltiness of mankind, because of the guiltiness of sinful man, he was willing to uh, forego that innocence and clearance of him at the, at the trial. And the crowd, of course, in their envy, wanted to see him to be crucified. Barabbas, verse 16, was a comparison there. Uh, you know, what a comparison. Barabbas, a notable prisoner, is the way it describes him. And a notable prisoner, it says he was likely guilty of three very, very serious uh, uh, charges. One was treason, second was murder, and the third was felony. Guilty of all three. <laughs> what a comparison. And here is Jesus, innocent and Again, the envy of the crowd made them to choose 
release of Barabbas rather than Jesus. I found it fascinating, too, as I looked at that, those expressions of emotion of envy and innocence. Pilate's wife pled for him. His disciples and his followers seemingly were not there. At least we don't have anything recorded of them in the scripture pleading in his case. Maybe they didn't have, uh, maybe they didn't have opportunity. I don't know. Uh, it would have been a fearful place to be. We know Peter there, when they came to get him from the garden, at least showed a certain amount of, uh, self, um, um, confidence in striking off the servant of the high priest here. But you know, it was, Jesus rebuked him for that. Um, talking about, uh, and this is just kind of a side note here, as I was thinking about the, uh, the, uh, the fear of the disciples, the fear of Jesus' followers, the the ones that he healed. You know, where were they at? Give testimony of who this, what this man had done. Uh, you know, the ones that were brought back to life, uh, the ones that were healed. Where were they at? Uh, why were they not here to refute the angry multitude? Uh, got sidetracked here again, but uh, there's. I mean, someone told me just recently, and I, I can't confirm this. There's two groups of people that could not testify in the uh, in the courts. Of the Jewish uh, law, and one was shepherds, and the other was women. Those two groups of people were not allowed to give testimony in in the courts of the Jewish people. And it's interesting to notice that you know those talking about the women at the tomb, they were the ones that gave the seemed to receive the the, the message first, and also the shepherds, you know, at his at his birth, at his coming, they were the ones that heralded his coming, and and you know came to the uh, stable there and. Uh, and witnessed his birth. Uh, I just find that rather fascinating that, uh, you know, they had their laws and, uh, you know, those two groups of people were excluded, but, you know, God saw that they were the ones that received the message. They were the ones that, that, that were called upon to give witness and testimony of what had transpired and taken place. Pilate pronounced him innocent, yet the chief priests and elders wanted him destroyed. Emotions at his trial, envy, envy and innocence. Moving on to emotions at the cross. Reading on here further in Matthew chapter 27, picking up at verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and said, up over him, his head... His accusation is written, This is Jesus, the King of Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by, by reviled in him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise all the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness upon all the land unto the ninth hour. And upon the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Labasamachna. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him, 
The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks ran. The graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. I see the anger of emotion here as at the, at the crucifixion, at the cross. Uh, the Jewish leaders uh, desiring to have him crucified and hanging on the cross. Uh, remember the the the, the uh, accusation that was written above. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, and the Jews had a problem with what Pilate wrote there. They said, "We want you to change that." He said he is the King of the Jews, and Pilate's statement, of course, was a bit more accurate. And uh, he was not willing to change it. And uh, that seemed to have anchored them. Uh, I want to read in John chapter 19, verse 21. That's the verse that I was talking about. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. So just a little variation there and and giving an indication of of what had provoked them in anger because of what was written. And I think they felt that anger. I think they felt that that guilty emotion within themselves because of the accuracy of that displayed um, signage above his cross. We see rather than in comparison the the emotion of anger, we see in comparison to that, rather the emotion of peace and trust in God displayed by Jesus as he gave his life in a sacrifice. In the experience of the cruelest treatment, what courage did that take for Jesus to hang there on the cross because of the sins of the world? Um, you know, in the accusations that they, 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 they laid against him, uh, you know, they, they spit on his face and, uh, they, uh, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of the Israel, let him come down. But you know the fact that he was the son of God is really what kept him on the cross. And it's what's going to carry you and me through our cross-bearing experiences as well. The fact that we are the children of God. The fact that we are the sons and daughters of God. The comparison of the emotion of peace and trust to anger. Because he was the Son of God is the very reason that he stayed on the cross. And they turned it around and said, if he was, let him come down. That's what anger can do. It distorts our vision. It distorts our thinking. And the exact opposite is what we expect, the exact opposite. The fourth point, emotions at the resurrection. want to uh, jump ahead to Matthew 28. And also verse Matthew 28, I wanted to pick out, uh, this was in our Sunday school lessons, I'll read a lot there. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. And again, that's the women, that was uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And uh, they responded with an emotion of joy and excitement, and uh, whereas uh, the guard... And the Jewish leaders responded with disbelief, skepticism, distrustfulness, uh, frightened, frustrated, 
John 20 talks about, uh, particularly mentions Mary weeping. I mentioned about the emotion of tears. And uh, Max Licardo here has a, a little excerpt here I wanted to read about tears. Words failed the day the Savior was slain. They failed miserably. What words could have been uttered? What phrases could have possibly expressed the feelings of those involved? That task, my friend, was left for the tears. What do you do when words don't come? When all the nouns and verbs lay deflated at your feet? With what do you communicate? When even the loftiest statements stumble, what do you do? Are you one of the fortunate who isn't ashamed to let those tears take over? Can you be so happy that your eyes water and your throat swells shut? Can you be so proud that your pupils blur and your vision miss? And in sorrow, do you let your tears decompress that tight chest feeling and untie that knot in your throat? Or do you reroute your tears and let them only fall on the inside? Not many of us are good at showing our feelings, you know, especially us fellows. Oh, we can yell. And we can do all kinds of things, but tears save those for the weak need and the timid. I've got a world to conquer. We would do well, fellas, to pause and look at the tear-stained faces that appeared at the cross. Peter, the burly fisherman, strong enough to yank a full net of, out of the sea, brave enough to weather the toughest storm, the man who only hours before had based his, bared his sword against the entire Roman guard, but now look at him weeping and wailing, huddled in a corner with his face hidden in his calloused hands, would a real man be doing this, admitting his fault and denying his Savior, confessing his failure, begging for forgiveness? Or would a real man bottle it up and justify it and rationalize it and keep a stiff upper lip and stand his ground? Has Peter lost his his manliness? We know better, don't we? Maybe it's, Maybe he's less of a man in the world, but less a man of God by no way. John took to his te- John, look at his tears, his face swollen with sorrow. He stands eye level with the bloody feet of his master. Is his emotion a lack of courage? Is his despair a lack of guts? And the tears of Jesus that came in the garden, I'm sure they came on the cross. Are they a sign of weakness? Do those stains on his cheeks mean they had no fire in his belly or no grit in his gut? Of course not. Here's the point. It's not just the tears that are the issue. It's what they represent. They represent their heart, the spirit, and the soul of a person. To put a lock and key on your emotions is to bury part of your Christ-likeness, especially when you come to Calvary. You can't go to the cross with just your head and your heart. It doesn't work that way. Calvary is not a mental trip. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's not a divine calculation or a cold theological principle. It's a heart-splitting R of emotion. And don't walk away from it dry-eyed and unstirred. Don't just straighten your shirt and clear your throat. Don't just allow yourself to descend Calvary cool and collected, pause, pause, and look again. Those nails in his hands, that God, that's God on the cross. It's us who put him there. Peter knew it. John knew it. Mary knew it. They knew a great price was paid, and they knew who really pierced his side. They also somehow knew that history was being made, and that's why they wept. They saw the Savior. May God, God may we never be so educated. May we never be so mature. May we never be so religious that we can See your passion without our tears. Well, the Emmaus Road would be another one we could look at. Our time is up. The emotions of joy, the emotions of disbelief at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what are our emotions this morning as we think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The question I want you to consider is, 
Where are our emotions today? Are they emotions of joy? Do we have tears of joy? Do we have peace? Do we have trust? Do we have expressions of love, expectant, hopefulness? Does this describe my walk with Jesus this morning? As others observe what's taking place on the inside by the outward expression of my emotions, what do my emotions tell others? We just walked through the pages of the Scripture this morning and looked at their emotions. What are my emotions telling others as they come in contact with me? You know, it doesn't matter to cry over your coffee at a quick trip. People need to see what, see our identify with them in their trials, in their problems. Uh, the challenge I want to leave with you this morning is let your emotions show Jesus. And that's a challenge.